excited about what God is doing in our church. Uh, again, I, I, we mentioned this last week when we had our prayer meeting again on Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Again, I encourage you to come out if you can. If not, be praying uh, wherever you are, those prayers that we have over our church because we believe in the power of prayer. Amen? Amen. And uh, we had a great prayer meeting again. Wednesday morning it was wonderful. Uh, we actually doubled in size. That was great. So, um, so we love that, and uh, God is moving in powerful ways within our church, and we are giving our attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. God is already at work. You guys know that? He's already at work in the world. All we're doing is just partnering with his work, um, but it's his work, and so that's what we want to do moving forward. So um, how many of you guys have ever seen the miniseries, it was, it was on HBO a long, long time ago, uh, called Band of Brothers. Anybody ever seen that before? Um, it's, an, it's an excellent, excellent uh, series, and it's, it's based on, you know, facts of history, a group in World War II of soldiers called Easy Company. And it tells their story, all the different battles that they were in and things like that. Um, but what was so compelling about this series was the relationships that these men had with each other. The bond that they had that was just incredible, unbreakable, to the point where after the war was over, they continued to be lifelong friends. In fact, there was these two guys that were friends in the show who um, they lost a leg, like a foot in, 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 in a blast in Bastogne. And one of them had a right foot and one of them had a left foot. And so they would go and meet every year and buy new shoes together <laughs> because they had the same size feet. And uh, it worked out great. And so uh, that they shared that common bond, very unique. Um, not many people can say that, uh, that they share shoes together. Um, so, but uh, it was a great, it was a great story. And I love the bond they had. And it's true that when we're in the trenches, right, with people, and we go through very difficult circumstances in our lives with someone and hardships, there's a different level of connection. Don't you agree? There, there's something about going through hard times alongside someone that creates a special bond. And you saw that in these men. And Stephen Ambrose, uh, the guy who wrote the book, uh, said this, he said, they also found in combat the closest brotherhood they ever knew. They found selflessness. They found they could love the other guy in their foxhole more than themselves. They found that in war, men who loved life would give their lives for them. And that's not common. It's not common to be willing to lay down your life for someone else. Jesus literally said in John 15, 13, the greater love has no man than this, right? Then he laid down his life for his friend. And then you see it in Romans chapter five, verse seven, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is uncommon, this type of love. Yet this is the love that Jesus has poured out on us. The way in which he's loved us. But he also asked us to love each other with this same level of love. That we might have this uncommon connection and unity and bond as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the title of my message this morning is Uncommon Bond. An Uncommon Bond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that you speak to our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, will you speak to us, God, your word, your truth? Lord, I pray that anything that comes from me will just fall to the wayside and die, Lord, but we want to hear your words And I pray that they will be seeds that bear fruit in our life. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, so we are continuing in our series, our series on vision that we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, Last week, we were talking about Ezra and Acts and the rebuilding of the church, the temple in Ezra and the building of the church in Acts and how God's vision, his dream for the world is to reconcile the world back to himself, right? He wants relationship with us desperately. That is his passion, that is his dream, that all of us could be united together under the lordship and headship of Christ and be in union with God once again. So his dream for the world and the way he fulfills that dream or goes about it, his plan per se, or his way is personal. And we talked about that last week, that the first step in any of God's plans for reconciling the world to himself has to do with our connection with him, our personal connection and relationship with Jesus. That's what he is most passionate about, and that's where it all begins. And then after that, It is personal, and then communal, and then missional. So today, we're talking about that second step within God's plan and his way. God's vision is communal. The kingdom of God is defined by relationships. The kingdom of God is defined by relationships, both us and the Lord and us with each other. But everything in the kingdom is about relationships. It's about either knowing God and relating to him or the way we relate to one another. The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about relationships. And that is the only thing in our lives that have eternal value. The only thing that has value in eternity is our relationship with the Lord, because that is eternal, right? It will continue on. And people, people are eternal. And so that's it. Those are the only things that have everlasting value is our relationship with God and our relationship and love for one another. That's why it's the two greatest commandments. It's all about relationships. And our life will literally be defined, our legacy will be defined by the relationships that we develop within our life. Because that's the people that remember us when we die, right? The people that remember us are the ones who were in relationship with us. Not relationship with our work, but with us personally. So relationships The kingdom of God is about it. And everything in God's kingdom had to do with God working with a people or a group of people. He always worked through. Now, he called individuals all the time. 
and he used them in powerful ways, but his vision for the world was accomplished through a people group. So in the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel, right? God's chosen people. God used the nation of Israel to fulfill his purposes in the world, to be a nation of priests, the Bible says. And then in the New Testament, it's the body of Christ. It's the church, right? And it says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people who are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light to show forth the praises of him, right? So we are that people. We are that group that God is choosing to fulfill his mission and vision for the world through, and he does it throughout history. We see it. So we see it in our stories as well. So let's look at Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple. We'll see it in this story. Verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1 says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. The New King James says they assembled together as one man in Jerusalem. So we'll look at that a little bit later. Verse 9 of chapter 3, All Levites joined together, New King James says, arose as one in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, so this is the vision coming to pass, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Verse 13, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Man, this is such a picture of unity with a group of people. You have all sorts of different groups, the Levites and the gatekeepers and the people that do this and have these instruments and the builders and thousands of people, but yet they were gathered together as one and when the foundation was laid... When that step of the vision had been accomplished, they raised up their voices in worship to God in unison. But they were all worshiping and praising and thanking God differently. The older people were weeping tears of joy because they had seen the former temple and it's happening again. And then the the younger guys are out there shouting and praising. But all of the sounds mixed together and created this loud noise that was heard from far away. And that's the power of being united together, that when we are in union with one another, the world will hear that noise. They will. Jesus said, they're going to know that you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. In John 17, when he prayed that we would be one with each other, he said, so that the world will know that I sent you. The world will know because of how we relate to one another because of how we connect with each other, how we love each other. That's how they know that we've been with Jesus. That's how they know. This incredible union. And it says that when they gathered together in verse one, 
they assembled together thousands of people as one man, like, a, you, like an individual person. They were so connected and on the same page. They had the same vision, same heart, same purpose, same drive, same language, same convictions and passions, all of it coalesced together that they literally functioned, even though it was a multitude of people, they functioned as one, as like one individual. This is uncommon. This is an unusual amount of unity and commonality. But yet they were, they were all different. They had different functions. They had different roles, but yet they were one. And then in verse 9, it says again that they arose together as one. This is God's intention for us, that our community would also resemble that, would exemplify that type of unity together and connection. So let's look at Acts and see how we see this played out in the early church. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves. So, so Peter preached, the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. He gets up, thousands of people gather around. They hear them all speaking in their own language about the wonderful works of God. So all these thousands of people gathered together in Jerusalem. They were already there to celebrate. And they come together and Peter preaches the gospel. Thousands of people come to Christ. I mean, thousands. They went from 120 in the upper room to 5,000 plus women and children. So just, I don't even know. It, they went from 120 to like thousands in like one day. So this, after that had taken place, all these people came to Christ. Verse 42, look at this. They just had made a decision to pursue Jesus. And yet in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, this is is a picture of the community and the family of God the way God desired it to be. That word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. You've probably heard this before. But that word means sharing, unity, close association, partnership, participation, a society, a communion, a fellowship, contributory help, the brotherhood, like the band of brothers, right? It's a unity brought about by the Holy Spirit. You see it again, this uncommon bond. They literally sold everything they had to provide for anyone who had need. They met in the temple daily. They met in each other's homes, breaking bread, praying together. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, right? So you see this uncommon bond. It's a connection that transcends common interest. It's not just about common interests, like, oh, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. We have a common interest. It goes way beyond that, the bond that we have with each other. And it transcends shared human experience. Even, even the foxhole experience, it goes even beyond that, the bond that we have with one another as sons and daughters of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
The connection that we have with one another is literally eternity written on our hearts. It's the spirit of God coming to rest and dwell inside us. It is the fact that our reason for being, like our very purpose, the the reason why we exist to love God and to love people is realized. It's both realized in community. We see our purpose played out as we live in community with each other and it's reflected back to us. Our very reason for being is reflected back and realized in relationship with each other. And so when we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we see identity, who we are in Christ, reflected back to us. We see purpose. We see love, the presence of Jesus. We are surrounded by that. We share one creator whom we worship, one Lord, one God. We share one heavenly father. So we have the same dad. That's awesome. Brothers and sisters, right? That's so cool. I remember I talked to my son about this one time. That I was like, hey, actually, you know, we're, we're brothers too. You know, like I'm your dad, you know, here, but you're also my brother in Christ. And then uh, he kind of used that against me later on. He was like, but you're only my brother. You can't tell me what to do. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. smart. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's not the way it works. <laughs> but we have that same Heavenly Father. We have the same purpose here, collective purpose on the earth. We have the same eternal destiny. We have the same Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that guides us on the same path of truth. And our connection is so deep, it goes beyond the physical, even the mental and emotional. It is a spiritual connection that we have with one another. It's unique, it's uncommon. And God wants us to express that connection and to explore just what that can mean for us in our lives on this earth. And this uncommon bond that we have in Christ is part of the core of our church vision. Okay, so last week we talked about our way, right? One with Jesus, right? That's something we're aiming for. We want to be one with him, fully alive and fully devoted to God. Right, that's part of our way. The second part of our way, because it starts with solitude, it starts with him and our connection with God, we are fully known and fully loved by the Father, which is powerful. And then comes step two in our way, that we are one family, fully known and fully loved in authentic relationships. That's what we're aiming for. Will we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But we're aiming for that, this uncommon bond. Because when we're fully known and fully loved by God, then we have the courage then to share our life with someone else and to be known by them and loved by them in authentic relationships. And it's powerful. John 15, 12, Jesus said this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Easy. So easy. That's it, God. Right. We have to love each other the way Jesus loved us. That is, that is a tall order, right? That's what his command was. And he summed it up in that. My command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. 
love each other. This is how we cultivate that uncommon bond, that unity within one another is when we love each other the way Jesus loved us. So the question is, like, we understand, okay, love each other, authentic relationships, great. Why fully known? Why that? Well, I think it's easier to love a stranger because you're, when you're close to someone and you spend more time with them, you guys know what I'm saying, when you, you get to know their habits and you get to know the quirks about them and you get to know the things that are a little bit annoying about them and the more time you spend with someone, it, I mean, it really, it puts our love to the test, right? The more time we are uh, present with someone and in close proximity, right? And, and so marriage puts your love to the test. Having kids definitely puts your love walk to the test. But we get to know each other's brokenness and insecurities and bad habits and our humanity, ultimately, when we're close. That's when our love walk gets teeth, right? When it gets, it's real. It gets real when we choose to, to allow ourselves to be known. Amen? Anyone can love the image of ourselves that we choose to project to the world. Because we all, we all do. We all have a certain form of ourselves that we would like people to see us in that light. We would like for them to receive us and experience us in a certain way. And that's fine. We want to have a goal. We want people to experience us loving and full of light, right? And so we do our best to be that version of ourselves. And that version is easier to love, but it's harder to love the person behind that projection. It's harder to love the broken person because we all are that person. And the one that has quirks and insecurities and, and fears. We can't love perfectly. We're not going to be able to do that. We can't love perfectly. We're imperfect. We're going to miss the mark without a doubt, right? But choosing to love means we practice forgiveness. We forgive one another for not being able to love us perfectly. And then we ask for that forgiveness. Hey, I'm sorry that I'm not going to be able to love you perfectly. But we can't do it perfectly, but we can love each other authentically imperfect. We can love each other authentically where we know one another and we might not be perfect in it, but at least it's real, right? So we can do that. So then, how do we cultivate this? How do, how do we see this come to pass in our life, this being one family, fully known and fully loved and authentic relationship? So we're going to talk about our values. Okay, three more values today. Number one, community, the value of community, choosing faithfulness and patience with a group of believers. Choosing faithfulness and patience with a group of believers. Faithfulness, that we are committed we are present. We have consistent proximity to other people. And we get to know each other in that way. Faithful, devoted in relationship. And then, of course, patience with our imperfections. Right? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as we read before, it said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the, so they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. All the believers were together, had everything in common, 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So you see a few different words that help us cultivate this. Devotion, being together in the presence of each other. They continued, meaning it was ongoing. Homes, they were in each other's homes. And they had glad and sincere hearts. So part of faithfulness is saying, okay, I am devoted. I am choosing, and it's not saying I'm choosing to be faithful to an event, or I'm choosing to be faithful like to a, a, a service here or to a small group meeting. We're not choosing faithfulness to something like that. We're choosing to commit to faithfulness to a person. We're choosing, I am committing to faithfulness to Rusty. I am committing to faithfulness to Russ, <laughs> Russ and Rusty. Uh, I'm committing, I'm just like, I, that's going to be funny. Um, so I'm committing to faithfulness to people. That's what God's interested in. Not, co- not committing to faithfulness just to a meeting. That's good. That's great. And maybe it starts that way. Remember, it starts as a discipline, ends as a desire. But I want to commit faithfully to people, to individuals, devoted to them continuing to meet. Consistency and proximity are essential in developing and being fully known and fully loved. It takes time, right? Trust is built over time. But if we don't allow ourselves to be present authentically, regularly with someone, then we'll never be able to build that bridge of trust. Strong enough to hold the weight of truth. That's when we really experience transformation and growth in community. So they didn't just meet in the temple either. They met in each other's homes. They invited each other into the place where they lived, where they did life, the intimate place of their life. And people came in to their homes and they experienced life together. And they had gladness. They ate their food with glad and sincere heart. Community is awesome. It's fun. Like it's so much more fun to be with a bunch of people than to be alone, right? There's a, there's a quote by this guy, um, in Into the Wild. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but he, he went alone out in the Alaskan wilderness because he just wanted to be in the wild and like and connect with nature or whatever else. Well, he ended up dying out there and getting poisoned by like berries. Or something. It was kind of a sad story. Anyways, um, I don't really suggest the movie, but the point is he said this. At the end of his life, when he realizes that he's passing away, He said, happiness is only real when shared. And there's something to that. When we stand on a mountaintop, we see something beautiful. What is the first inclination of our heart? We either want to thank God, like we want to connect with a person. We want to share it. Like, thank you, God. This is amazing. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Or what do we want to do? Get our, right? We want to take a picture. And then we want to send it to someone. So they can share in our happiness. God's wired us for that kind of connection. And there is a gladness that comes in relationship. Laughing together breaks down walls and allows us to connect in special ways. And then there's patience, like we said before. Faithfulness, but also patience with people's imperfections. We're imperfect. We're going to have moments where we're prickly, we're pokey. And we're not the most pleasant person to be around. It's going to happen. I already told you guys, I already confessed, okay, after 10 p.m., I kind of become that person a little bit, okay? 
right? There's times with that, and my wife and my kids are familiar with that because I am in close proximity to them. So they have experienced that, and they still love me. Isn't that great? Um, By the grace of God. But it's in those places we choose to have patience. And then if we can do that, if we can say, hey, I am trusting, I know who you are. And even if you're acting out in a way that doesn't align with your identity in Christ, I can look beyond that because I know who you are in Christ. So I can stay committed in relationship to you and in proximity to you because I know who you really are. I know that you're tired. I know that you had a bad day. I know, you know what I mean? And we're able to allow those things to happen. But stay in community and in relationship with each other. And that allows for consistency, which then allows for trust. And, and then it blossoms into this beautiful thing of being fully known and loved. But it takes patience. And we have to allow God to work in their lives and refrain from trying to work on them. Amen? This is very true in marriage. I know that I, I try to <clears throat> fixing some things with my wife <clears throat> early in our marriage. That didn't go too well. Um, but there, she would share, like, something at night. She would share about, like, something she had a bad day or something happened or whatever. And she's sharing this, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the Bible says uh, that, you know, you should, you know, do this or do that. That wasn't received great in that moment. Um, and I realized she wasn't looking for me to fix something. She was looking for empathy, like, to feel what she was She knew the answer. She knows the Bible. She knows. But she was looking for me to connect with her, to empathize with her, to feel what she was feeling in that way. And uh, I, it took me a little while to learn that one. Um, I'm still learning that one. Um, but I've gotten better. And, uh, and I've learned that. But again, we both had to trust the Lord that God was at work in our lives. And if we saw something that was broken or imperfect, and if, even if we were right, instead of taking the role of the Holy Spirit and making sure they felt convicted about it, we trusted the Lord and said, all right, God, I know that you're at work in them, and I'm trusting that you will reveal this also in their life. But typically, if there was some kind of tension, the first thing that we've learned to do is go to the Lord ourselves and say, God, is there something in me that's wrong? First, before we start asking God to do something in them, is there something wrong in me? And then, you know, we continue to pray. But, again, patience. Patience with imperfection. Number two, so we got community. Number two, authenticity, cultivating vulnerability and empathy and care in our relationships. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's easy to love each other on the surface, right? But the surface isn't where we need each other the most. It's in our depths. That's where we really need the support that comes through authentic community, right? Sure, on the the surface level, that's great to have that support. But man, 
if we can share our hearts with someone, with what's really going on in the depths of who we are, and be honest. Honesty is an invitation. And we invite someone in to those places, along with the Holy Spirit, then they can bear each other, we can bear each other's burdens. But it takes vulnerability. People that can bear our burdens and share our joys. Like really share them. We're like, they're just as happy as we are when we get the promotion or when something happens good in our life. Like they're just as happy because they've connected on a hard level. So vulnerability, in order to be vulnerable, we have to be humble. We have to because we have to care more about our wholeness than our image. We have to care more about being whole in Christ and complete in him than our image. And so we're willing to go there and be vulnerable so that we can be made whole. We need that. And so we say, I'm choosing this. I'm choosing wholeness over my image. That we care more about connection with one another on an authentic level than about being celebrated in someone's eyes. I would rather connect with you in an authentic way in my brokenness than have you celebrate me in an inauthentic way because you don't really know what's going on in my life. You see what I'm saying? So we value that more. Uh, and that takes humility. And that takes the work of the Holy Spirit humbling us. But Jesus exemplified this for us. He invited his disciples into the darkest place of his life. He told them, entering in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Will you stay here, watch with me, and pray with me? He let, he let them in and invited them in to the, to the darkest place of his life, the darkest moment, and said, will you support me? These guys were definitely imperfect, right? But Jesus invited them in, into that moment. He exemplifies that vulnerability to us. And then empathy. If every time someone shares honestly and vulnerably, if it's immediately met with compassion and empathy, then that is going to create more courage and more trust to mine the depths of our hearts together. If every time we choose to be honest about a struggle in our life or something that's going on, if it's immediately met with compassion and empathy, then next time we're going to have even more courage, won't we? Because it was met with love. It was met with grace. And so empathy helps create that momentum and trust creates safety. And I, I know this for myself because our small group that we were in back in Denver, uh, we were together for a few years, four or five years. Um, it was awesome. We had a really great relationship with each other. But as a pastor, I was the group's pastor in a small group where someone else was the leader. And so when we first started, the leader would be like, so Neil, what do you think we should do? I'm like, I, hey, hey, I'm just a member of the group. Like, you just, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm, you're, the, you're my leader, you know? Um, and so it was interesting, though, as a pastor, it was hard for me to be vulnerable because I just, I wasn't sure how it would be received. I, I didn't want to discourage people in their own personal pursuits of Jesus. I'm like, gosh, what do I? So I tried to be like, kind of halfway off. I mean, it was authentic, but it kind of shared half of my struggles, you know, not completely out there. And, but it took time. I'm just like everyone else. It took time. Trust had to be built. But 
eventually we got to this point where all of us were sharing our testimonies, like the, the hard parts of our life and what God had saved us from and everything else. And different people were going through, and we'd been meeting like for four years together at this point, and people were sharing stuff that they had never shared with anyone in their entire life. And we just randomly decided to do it as a group. It wasn't like this, we were on some discipleship track. We just decided because we had gotten to that point in our relationships. And so people were sharing vulnerably. And every time it was met with empathy and compassion and love from the group and acceptance and prayer. And it was powerful. I mean, powerful. And then it came to me. And it was my week. And I realized I trust these people. In that moment, I shared with them, again, same thing that everyone else had done, stuff that I had never shared with anyone else except for my wife, ever in my life. And I shared vulnerably as a pastor, as the group's pastor in my group, the hardships of my life and the things that God brought me through and where I was, and not just the past either, but just present. And, and again, I was met with empathy, compassion, love, Exactly like I thought it would be. Nothing, nothing different. No one treated me any differently. If anything, after that moment, we were actually closer. And we actually had more respect for each other because we knew each other's stories and had the grace of God in it all. And we shared that common bond. Uncommon bond. It was amazing. But vulnerability met with empathy it's how we cultivate being fully known and fully loved. And then you take it a step further to care. So actually bearing each other's burdens. So it's one thing to be present in the moment and say, I'm listening and we meet with empathy in those moments. That's great. But care takes it to another level, to where it goes beyond the present moment. We're choosing to show that same compassion and empathy outside of the group meeting, outside of that present moment, where we follow up with them. Hey, yesterday, last night, you shared some really hard stuff. How are you doing? How you feeling with that today? Shoot him a text, whatever. It care continues beyond that one moment. And that's taking it to the next level and showing care, uh, visiting each other, you know, going out for coffee, whatever, to where it's no longer in this structured environment. Uh, we're choosing to commit to faithfulness to that individual outside of a structured setting. Does that make sense? So um, vulnerability, empathy, care, authenticity, so, and then that's that sincere heart, right? That they talked about next. Okay, and then the last value here that I'm going to share doesn't necessarily specifically connect with relationships. It does, um, but it, it kind of has a more widespread effect in all of our lives, and that is the value of freedom. So we value freedom. Engaging as a church, engaging in whole life transformation. Whole life transformation. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational, whole life transformation. That's what God wants for us. Complete freedom. Isaiah 61, verses 1 
through three, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Man, doesn't that sound amazing? That's what Jesus came to do, to set us free, to bring healing and wholeness to every part of our life. And that oaks of righteousness right there, that's where we get oaks from, right, Um, is from this verse, that we would be whole. So Jesus, in Luke 4, he says this, he quotes this verse, and then he says, this verse is fulfilled in your very hearing. And then he leaves the synagogue and actually does it. He goes out and he starts healing the sick and casting out demons and all these different things. Jesus wants us to be whole physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. He wants us to be free, free from addiction in our lives and bondages that we experience, free from wounds from our past, hurts that have been caused from past relationships and experiences. He wants us to be free from past scripts that have been written in our life, lies, that, have, that we've believed over the years that maybe have been passed down to us from our families of origin and different relationships in our lives. He wants us to be free from sin, dead to sin and alive to God. And he wants our relationships also to be whole and to be healed. Forgiveness, freely offered to one another. Healthy boundaries in relationships that could be harmful self-awareness in our relationships. He wants to cultivate all of this in us. Like I said, each one of these values, I I mean, obviously, we could do a sermon series on freedom. There's a million things. Oaks of righteousness, the whole thing is about freedom. Um, So there's a lot that can be said. But self-awareness, especially in relationship, self-awareness is essential in healthy relationships and community. We need self-awareness to know what's kind of going on on the inside of ourselves in order to have a healthy and safe context in community. And the only way we will ever share our lives wholeheartedly with others is if we have done the work to search out what's in our own heart. And that's one of the ways we live in wholeness with others. Taking the time to discover. You can't share something you don't know, right? And so taking that time to dive into that. So, all together... We want to be one family, fully known and fully loved in authentic relationships through community, through authenticity, through freedom. We want to experience this. Can, we, can you guys just imagine, just take a moment just to think about it. What would it look like? What would it look like if the church, just in Liberty, in the city of Liberty, if every member, every brother and sister in Christ chose to aim for this? together, collectively, if we all chose to say, I want to be fully known, I want to be fully loved in authentic relationship with one another. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? How strong that would be? How nothing, nothing could stand in our way because we all have each other's back. We're not trying to be lone rangers. We're not trying to lead, live life in isolation. We have people who see our blind spots, who know our weaknesses, who we can confide in when things are hard. And if we were surrounded in every aspect of our life 
with at least one of those relationships everywhere, how healthy that would be for us. Think about all those things. Faithfulness, patience, vulnerability, empathy, care, forgiveness, boundaries, self-awareness, all of these things collectively together. This is what Jesus invites us into. And this is what we as a church want to aim for together. Amen? Amen. Uh, But as we know, authentic trust, those relationships takes time, right? It takes time. That's okay. It takes time to build those relationships. That's why our small groups, our hope is that they will be long-term communities. Not short-term, not just like get together for a semester and you do a study and then you move on and you meet with someone else for a different study. I'm talking about long-term relationships. Like I said, our group met together for, I think altogether it was about five years, but not just five years. I mean, we know, I'm talking about people who have been meeting with the group together, couples, or maybe it was women, maybe it was men, but they've been meeting regularly together for 20 or 30 years. Can you imagine that? I mean, they literally know everything about each other. Like, there's nothing they don't know, right? And so they can be really raw and authentic with each other, which is awesome. And it's hilarious, too, when you get around them. Um, But it's amazing. It's so cool. And the connection that they have is visible. Like, you can just see it. It's like, wow, those people just know each other so well. And it's special, and we all want it. So that's what we're aiming for. That's why we want to do long-term community groups together. So, um, so today, after the service, we're having our group leader training, and then here in about three, or three weeks or so, we're going to be launching our small groups for the spring semester, um, and I want you guys to know that's what we're aiming for. Will we do it perfectly? Of course not. We're, we're going to be working on it, but we want that. We want long-term life change and connection together as a church family. Does that sound good? Amen. All right, well, let's pray, and then I'll let you guys out of here. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, that you are good, you are faithful, you give us everything that we need, Lord, to cultivate this kind of community, Lord, in our lives together, Jesus. You give us the grace that we need to have patience, and faithfulness, vulnerability, and empathy. And so, Father, I just ask, God, that we will tap into that, Lord, that we'll trust in your Holy Spirit to knit us together in authentic relationships so that we as a church family might experience this uncommon bond. Lord, with you and with one another, God, bless my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ today as they go out into their days and maybe watch some football. Lord, we love you and bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. And Everybody said? Amen. Amen, Amen guys. Love you guys. Uh, we will see you next week. And again, if you're doing group leader training, it's happening right now or in the next five minutes or so in the office right over here. So love you guys.